The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, what is wrong with Bitcoin? The cryptocurrency hovering around $8,000. So what are the biggest Bitcoin investors doing? They're hanging out in Puerto Rico. We'll head there and talk to our crypto baller, Brian Kelly. Plus, Mad Money's Jim Cramer just sat down with the CEO of Intel, Brian Krasanich. So which company could Intel be buying? You will not believe what he just told Cramer. Jim will be here shortly. But first, we start off with the words that sent the markets soaring. We come in peace here. The, the thing everybody on Wall Street needs to understand is just, just relax. If you look at the negotiating posture of this country, all these countries that are running huge trade surpluses with us have no incentive to rock that boat. That was Peter Navarro, the director of trade for the White House, tempering fears about a potential trade war. The Dow climbing 250 points at the uh, day at the highs of the day, but the index closed much lower, ultimately ending up just over triple digits. S&P negative for the fourth straight day, uh, the longest losing streak of the year. So has this market gone from buy the dip market to a sell the rip one, Guy. For the last four days, absolutely. And I thought, listen, I know the Dow closed higher in a day, 100 and some points. But the S&P is what I watch. I think that's what we all watch. And for the last four days, we've had big moves to the upside, followed by markets that closed effectively on the lows of the day. And we've seen it now for four days. I think that's a bit of a trend. So I would say, yes, the only caveat is the VIX, quite frankly, and Pete can speak this, should have been higher today, and banks traded well. So get some cross currents. But in terms of the broader market, I do think you're in the short term, at least, in a sell-the-rip mode. You know, the VIX could have been higher, but the reality is, look where the S&P actually traded today. I mean, it, it, the, we needed a 1% move for a 16 VIX. We're a little bit above that level right now. So actually, the VIX is showing you there is a little bit of a fear factor in there because it's a little higher than it probably should be, given the moves we're getting out of the S&P 500. I think what we're really seeing in these markets right now is sell the rips. That makes a lot of sense to me because when there are valuations all across the area mm -hmm. of the markets that it just seems a little inflated, so you want to take a little something off. I agree with that. So I'm more on the sell the rips than I am on buying the dips right now. But I think the reality is we're still in this rotation of almost daily. And today, materials, energy, they were out. But all of a sudden, you look back, you look at McDonald's, you look at UNH, yeah. some of these names that were skyrocketing to the upside. Not just the Boeings of the world anymore. There are other names that are actually leading at least the Dow. Look, for any part of your portfolio that's tactical, there's, there's no reason why you're supposed to be buying these dips. Uh, think about all the uncertainty out there. And I, I don't, you know, it, it's not Fed, it's not interest rates, it's not Washington, it's not trade wars, it's not valuations. It's all of them after a massive move in stocks. So when I, when I look at what the dollar did intraday, that's enough to hurt stocks. So that actually the Dixie around 11 o'clock, around the time these numbers came through, went from being having a difficult time getting through the 50-day to now maybe, look, if we've got a dollar rally here, that's obviously very 
very supportive to some companies, but I think that's a tailwind. I think it's a tailwind for markets, especially markets that at least in the last week or two have shifted towards at least some concern about growth. So, no, I, I don't think you need to do anything aggressive here. I've been frustrated as a trader by some of these things that are, have, have failed to break out above the 50. Emerging markets, for example, every time it looks like intraday we're getting a breakout, that tactical part that I'm trading pulling back. This yeah. is a change in mentality, though, it for is, most but investors out there, not to buy the dip, because that has been what has worked yeah, for a long you know, time. You know what I think what's going on right now, though, is that you know the, the economic backdrop is really good. Uh, there's a lot of fundamentals in the markets that are, feel pretty good. Um, the one issue is that when you have Peter Navarro come on air today, it makes absolutely no sense. What did he just say in that clip? He just said, we have all our trading partners with these trade surpluses. They don't want to rock the boat. What are you talking about? That's all we want to do, is rock the boat with those surpluses. The president misspeaks all the time about this. They brought in Larry Kudlow, who was totally opposed to rocking the boat and causing trade wars. Now he's become a supplicant to the president, taking that important role, but he's not going to push back or he will have the same but fate as second, Gary Daddy, Cohen. But, what, 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 so what I'm saying is he says we come in peace, yet everything that they're doing and saying is the exact opposite. Well, look, it, it, Peter Navarro, first of all, let's be clear, this is probably the most important economist in the world outside of a central bank economist, whether we like it or not. So we're, we're listening. Um, and the reality is I think a lot of comments on trade wars have been for bluster and a lot of comments maybe have even been misinterpreted. When a guy comes on today and say, we don't mean war, uh, that, that's, that, that's constructive. I mean, ultimately, you have Larry Kudlow, who's basically said, you know, I, I don't want to pick on my friends. I want to pick on my enemies in terms of trade problems. I, I think we need to wait and hear how we deal this one-on-one. -on -one. We know Peter Navarro for whatever reason, and it's pretty obvious. There's some reasons why China has been a bee in his bonnet for a long, long time. Remember, Peter Navarro is a guy that at one point totally was against how Reagan's uh, protectionist approach ran. This is a guy that's been in, in the government, or at least representing views for the government for a long time. So the guy that was a Democrat, he ran as a Democrat multiple times. So to, to paint him in a corner, um, I, I don't like how he's handled a lot of this, but I was actually relieved by how some of that was handled today. You know, if we have, if the United States has been taken advantage of unfairly or illegally in some cases, then you know what, good for President Trump for sticking up for us. Now, with that said, I don't think it's that's particularly market friendly, and I think everybody sort of understands that. But if if it is true that we've that has not been fair trade agreements, then at least somebody, you know, you got to give them credit at a certain point for putting America's best interest first, and that's what you know. That's as I would far say as it is that. true, not if. I would say is true that there have been agreements that are not very good. They're not definitely not very favorable for us, and I think taking advantage of us. So is it a negotiation tactic? That's what it seems like everything Mr. Yeah, guys, Trump does, it was, right? It, I mean, it was actually very favorable for Boeing, remember? It was very favorable for Boeing. So if we're going to be free markets, and this is what Larry Kudlow, I heard him every day for the last 10 years on this network, talk about it. If that's his stance, and then he's going to go to the White House, and he's just going to actually do what the president says, we then we got a real problem. Yeah, but I don't know that that's, well, the, case. Know that that's the case. What we, what we know about Larry is this, and Jim Cramer talked about this yesterday. He said, hey, look. We might have disagreements, but at the end of it, it's all going to be done with class, and he will be supportive of the president. Just like the but president. he's going to come after the president. He'll come after him, and I honestly believe that. He's been somebody who's been working with President Trump before he became Everybody president. Everybody who's come Trump. after would the president rather? is gone. Oh, would you rather? about to be gone. Would you rather? So would you actually, would you rather? Here's a non-stock would you rather. Would you rather have Larry Kudlow be appointed the head of the NEC or a Peter Navarro duplicate, Xerox copy, whatever you want to call it, appointed the head I, I of the NEC? I think, sadly, that's what you got. I, I think, think that his influence is not going to be particularly greater than, you, you know, I think he had probably more influence outside the White House than he does after taking the job.
Interesting. But let's remember, he was a part of, as, as President Trump wasn't President Trump and leading into this, he was going back and forth with him on a daily basis. I mean, we talked to Larry all the time and he had all kinds of conversations. Did he agree with everything that Mr. Trump then, now President Trump, said, did, and everything but else? Pete, no. Now you have to. When you're in his White House, you have to. He it demands Wait. loyalty or you, you get have fired. To do what you will you come to out do. with a smile on your face and listen to Mr. Trump well, when he comes I'm out. I'm curious. I'm curious. Are you, are you more bearish on the yeah, markets then? Because listen, every time I listen like today, listening to Peter Navarro, that clip we just ran, guys, it doesn't make any sense what he's saying. So I, I am more bearish yes. if we're going to hear Peter more no of this sort of rhetoric from that lawn on the White I House. I get your frustration. Peter Navarro's policy has zigzagged through many different time warps in the last 25 years. Um, I think this comes back to, you know what really matters? Mm. The market. And, and it matters for a company like Boeing. And I bring that up just because the reason Boeing is selling off is because Boeing probably was due to sell off. Boeing was going a one-way ticket higher, and I'm not sure that what's happening isn't something that would have happened eventually. Did we really, when it, all the, the best analysts on the street were upgrading Boeing at the top, and guys that are very good at being cynical were at 3.30 saying it's going to 4.50, nobody talked about a trade war. What's happening with Boeing is emblematic of a market that needed a reason to come back. Thank you. You're looking for safeties uh. out there. <laughs> but there might be nowhere to hide. Our next guest says it could be about to uh, get worse. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners. Hi, Chris. You're looking hey, at Staples. Yeah, I think that's one of the big issues right now. Uh, the last several days, you have bond yields lower. You would expect these defensive groups to work, and it just hasn't been the case. What we brought with us uh, are the Staples here. They have, frankly, been down and weak the last several days, even with yields lower. What I'm showing you here is the percentage of stocks down 20% from their high. So you'll already have about a fifth of the consumer staple sector in a bear market. The group uh, acts very weak internally. And when you look at some of these names, Kimberly-Clark, KMB, made its high in 2016, made a lower high in 2017, right back on the lows right now, 110 big level there. We don't think it holds. We think the stock goes lower. Same thing here for an Altria. It's been a home run for the last four or five years. It peaked in 17. Failed rally in 2018, right back uh, at the lows here. 62 is the big level here. We don't think that one holds. We think that's a stock that has uh, some risk here. And then lastly, another one here, CL, very defensive stock. Again, peaked a couple years ago, has not been able to make new highs, right back on the lows. So this is a group, despite all the risks out there, despite lower bond yields, it's still not, uh, it, it still offers no safety here. We think that's a problem. Uh, do you think Chris comes over? Oh, yeah. He's got it. He's got a lot to do here. I had a to add. Uh, delivery. A lot to no do here. Salesy sort of stuff. Um, you mentioned bond yields. So the charts themselves of the stocks say that they are not a good trade at this point. In terms of staples overall and what they do in a rising sure. interest rate environment, is that another layer as to... Uh, not to be invested in, in the I stocks. think the staples and the Utes and the telcos mm -hmm. and the REITs tell us that bond yields probably aren't going all that lower. And what's interesting here, when we uh, argue that those are defensive sectors, a lot of that work is based on a 35-year bull market bonds. We haven't seen what those groups have done when interest rates actually go up. So what we did uh, this morning in our work, we looked at all the consumer staples groups, the beverages, the chain stores, household products, what they did in the 50s when bond yields uh, rose. These were massive underperformers in the 1950s. That's probably a decent analog moving forward, that these defensive groups really aren't that defensive when yields go up. So Colgate, for example, I mean, is, sure. is there a catalyst? I mean, in my, in my world, and I, this is a different world, I look at evaluation that's rich compared to Procter & Gamble. Is there a catalyst going forward for this move potentially Do they make Q-tips? 
No, they don't make Q-tips wise, guys. I don't think they do. They make toothpaste. I'm not here right now. What is one of the most important things we learn in this business as traders? When something doesn't go up when it should, the story is changing. So the last two days, you have bond yields under pressure. This is a stock that should work under a lot of pressure. That's a bad message. I think that's the catalyst right there. Price is heavy. The stock goes down. It makes new relative lows. It's a problem. Hey, Chris, so let's go to the like, uh, Coca-Colas of the world. Sure. Okay, so there's a stock that was making new like 10-year highs in the start of this year, and then you have this drop, yeah. like most of the staples. But this is a story that obviously should fit in this sort of market. What's wrong with some of these individual names that people want to own, but are they just part of the wrong group? Well, I think what's interesting about a Coke, even when it was making new highs late last year, it wasn't making new relative highs. So you weren't getting paid owning that relative a semi or relative a bank. So we're not getting paid on a relative basis. Now we're not getting paid on, on the absolute basis. That doesn't sound like the most attractive stock to own here. So what charts do look defensive in this market? Well, I think you can make an argument, and this has been the first corrective phase in two decades where banks have outperformed. That is a complete change in character from how that group has behaved over the last 20 plus years. We think that's a very powerful message. Tech has been defensive throughout this whole move. The FANG stocks, the semiconductors, is it possible that's a defensive group in an environment where the cost of capital is going up? I think those are two things to consider going forward. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Chris Verone, Strategus. What did you do today, Tim? Uh, I actually trimmed some of this tactical stuff because I, I just didn't like some of the headlines today. But I, I agree that Staples, I mean, look at a Walmart, too, and that broke the 200 today. It's been kind of clinging to life. But stocks that were valued for the wrong reasons, and I, you know, I'm sorry, I, that may be, you know, Monday morning quarterback, but, but the reality is Walmart is not Amazon. Mm -hmm. A lot of these Staples companies are not growth companies. P&G may have an activist in there, but P&G has been on, on, on the bottom of this, this last round. So I think these are names you have to continue to say are going to get weak. They haven't bounced, and you don't chase them. Speaking of Walmart, we got a news alert. Let's get to Kate Rogers in the newsroom for the details. Hi, Kate. Melissa, this is in response to that whistleblower lawsuit filed against Walmart by a former employee who says that they were issuing misleading e-commerce results because they were competing with Amazon. Uh, we have a statement from Walmart. This is to our own Courtney Reagan. They say, quote, the litigation is based on allegations by a disgruntled former associate who was let go as a part of an overall restructuring. We take allegations like this seriously and looked into them when they were brought to our attention. The investigation found nothing to suggest that the company acted improperly. We intend to vigorously defend the company against these claims. And Melissa, so that's Walmart responding to that whistleblower lawsuit. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Kate Rogers. If the market is considered the uh, jury verdict on this, there was no reaction basically in the stock. Initial uh, drop on the back of that news when the news crossed, but then basically a recovery. And let's not forget about the fact that we weren't talking about Walmart that long ago as trading over $100 a share. I thought the valuation level was ridiculous relative to if you want to put them in the same category as Target. Target's still a better name, I think. It trades at a better valuation. They actually have areas of growth. And Where's their headquarters? Uh, they happen to be in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Brian Cornell does a heck of a job <laughs> with them. But, I mean, they're not even comparable. Even at these lower levels for Walmart right now, those levels or valuation are still in favor of Target. Would you rather target over Walmart? No. We said wow, that for yourself, would you rather? I wasn't even going to go there. I was not going to go there, but go ahead. They just you win the graphic. <laughs> they just did the graphic. Listen, I, I don't you. think the reason, you're not selling Walmart on the back of this whistleblower. I don't think, I mean, Walmart's going to do $500 billion. They do a billion and a half dollars of revenue a day. So this is me and the, and the godfather two parlance is small potatoes. That being said, Walmart is still too expensive.
Coming up, check out shares of Broadcom volatile after hours on its earnings report. That conference call is underway right now. We'll tell you what the CEO said about any possible future deals. And speaking of chip deals, Intel reportedly looking to make a large acquisition and Broadcom could be the target. Jim Cramer just spoke with the CEO of Intel. He will join us to tell us what he said. And later, what's behind the Bitcoin beatdown? We head to Puerto Rico where the top minds in crypto are gathering. We'll speak to our favorite crypto mind, Brian Kelly. You're watching Fast Money in New York City's Times Square. We got much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Alibaba topping the tape and jumping more than 3% today. This after reports that the Chinese internet retail giant is planning for a dual stock listing in China. Shares are up more than 50, or excuse me, 90% in the past year. So does this stock have more room to run? Well, it does when you have a catalyst like this. And again, Baidu announced this. NetEase announced this. Um, so this isn't new news, although the, the, today's specific announcement for these guys is important. It'll probably happen second half of the year. Baba also announced their GMV numbers, so their sales numbers for the first two months of the year. Gross merchandise uh, and, and volume. Gross merchandise volume. Um, and, and for physical products, up 37%, which is the best number they've had in two years. It gets back to valuation relative to Amazon. Which would you rather own? I would much rather own this name. You, everybody's self would you rather in tonight. He's as I'm obsolete. I'm obsolete. Just, he runs amok around here. Right about like you. Got it. Too you know, I love Baba too. I'm right there with Tim. And actually, I would take that over Amazon just based upon valuation and what I think of the two different companies. But I'd also say, don't overlook Jay. Because JD potentially is another name that you can add to the portfolio. And they're going to do the same thing. Right. They're, they're going to list locally. That's a yeah. big driver for the ADR. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that just like in America, you know, there's other players. You know, JD is growing sales 30 percent a year, yeah. and that's likely to continue for what another five years yep. or something like that. Partner so with really Tencent. Important. It's good story. Still ahead, Bitcoin darling Overstock is tanking in the after-hour session. The stock is down nearly 10%. Following its earnings report, we'll bring you the details right after this break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. We installed the Internet on our computer just a short time ago, and I haven't been able to get the kids off it ever since. Fast forward 25 years, and a number of small Internet stocks are hitting all-time highs. We'll give you the names. Plus, as the crypto carnage rages around the world, what are some of the top Bitcoin investors doing? Yeah. Getting wrecked in Puerto Rico at, where else, a Bitcoin conference. We're live on the ground to find out why they are still holding on for dear life when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Overstock, which is tanking in the after-hour session. Kate Rogers is in the newsroom with the details. Hey, Kate. Hi, Melissa. That sell-off coming thanks to a big loss on revenues for the quarter. Overstock, though, also announcing an SEC investigation into recent moves it's made into Bitcoin and blockchain. So for context, Overstock announced a joint venture for a global property registry based on Bitcoin's blockchain technology called Medici Ventures. That was back in December. This is a for-profit venture. The company said its blockchain enterprises are progressing progressing nicely. Also in September, the company announced plans to launch a digital coin trading platform called T0, its subsidiary, to raise funds for an ICO. In a 10K, they said in February, the Division of Enforcement of the SEC informed T0 and Overstock it is investigating them, and it's requested information about the security token offering, also asked for information from Medici Ventures, including documents. They say this could result in a delay in the offering, and it may have a material negative impact on the overall brand. Overstock 
stock also said work is ongoing on a pending sale of its e-commerce assets, and they will update when appropriate. The stock is down by nearly 10%. Melissa, back over to you. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Guy Dami, what it's do you It's never been an earnings story. It's all been about T0. If you look at the stock, I mean, Overstock was a failing company. Stock was trading in the 20s. They announced the T0 thing. They announced the crypto thing. Crypto went crazy. Stock went north of 80 bucks. So if there are a lot of people that believe T0 will be the next coming of the Intercontinental what Exchange is or something like that, it's their crypto it's their exchange, token. it's their token. Yeah. So if that's the case, then this is a steal here. If, though, there's an SEC investigation yeah. that's going to delay this thing for the foreseeable future, then it's reasonable to believe it goes right back to where it started. Yeah, you have no yes. Free Bitcoin craze. Yeah. Pre-Bitcoin craze. Which is uh, 16, 16 bucks. But the point Ooh. is there's no reason 16. to believe any of this, especially with investigations into their own offering, into the regulatory issues they're going to be faced with T0. So to me, this was always trading on the promise of it. If you want to buy cryptocurrencies, buy cryptocurrencies. Don't buy overstock. Uh, the short interest were... 29% of the short interest. Mm. So, you know, on some level, that's what will give the stock a bounce or two. I mean, it's, it's look, it's a horrific chart. If you, if you look at, you know, kind of a, a, a two-year chart on it, it's... it's Looks like it's Bitcoin. not a chart that I jump in on. All right. From one Bitcoin blowout to another, crypto getting crushed this week as the major currencies plunge double-digit percentages. Seema Modi is at the Blockchain Unbound Conference in Puerto Rico with more. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa. And one of the big topics of discussion at this conference is what a rough week it's been for cryptocurrencies. Over $62 billion in market cap erased overnight. And folks here say it's a couple different factors contributing to the decline. First, those regulatory fears of a crackdown after the Senate's hearing around initial coin offerings. And Google's surprising decision to ban cryptocurrency advertisements. It's seen as a setback for an industry that is still in its infancy and arguably needs outlets like Google and Facebook to get the word out. It's probably a concern for the industry. It's definitely a concern for people that do a lot of public sale marketing. Um, we, we specifically avoid that. Um, we, don't, we don't do public sale marketing because, frankly, the rule sets are, are not necessarily clear right now. We're, we're all about self-regulatory uh, movement. Um, Blockchain Industries is part of a couple of different groups, and we also have our own self-regulatory piece. I also spoke to Ari Paul, the head of Block Tower Capital, one of the larger digital currency hedge funds. He says many cryptocurrency speculators were hoping for institutional money to pour in and continue providing tailwinds, but instead of a flood, we've only been seeing a trickle. Looking forward, there is growing uncertainty around the upcoming G20 meeting where there is rumored that Japanese finance minister will make some statements around cryptocurrencies, specifically on the role that cryptocurrencies play in money laundering. So look out for that. In the meantime, Bitcoin back above 8,000. And Melissa, our coverage will continue tomorrow. We'll look at how Puerto Rico is trying to become a viable destination for blockchain and cryptocurrency startups. Back to you. Yep. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi from the Blockchain Unbound Conference. It's interesting, the commentary about the institutional investors. We were just talking to Grayscale the other day, and they have a product which could actually tick the boxes when it comes to institutional investors. Is it just about to come, you think? I mean, I, 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 look, there's no question that, that institutions are, first of all, in this trade, and, and they're, they're invested a number of different ways, in many ways in the VC side. Some of them are in, in the t 
cryptocurrencies or the tokens directly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, to me, this, this is not a question of efficacy or proof of concept or, or anything. This is about liquidity. This is about what's the right vehicle. This is about obsolescence already before you become, you know, one year old. And I think that's the dynamic here. But institutional players, for sure. Yeah, and I think they're dipping their toe in the water right now. I think the thing that's weighing on cryptocurrencies or digital assets this year is obviously the fear of regulation. I think big institutions to go all in or actually to go need more regs. than they, they need regulation. They need to see these guardrails in place. So I think in a lot of ways at a crypto conference like they have down there, they're all worried because their digital assets are going lower. The people who are investing in blockchain um, from a VC standpoint, they're actually excited they're about excited it. It's it. really giving them a lot of opportunities here. Yeah. For more on the Bitcoin collapse, we want to bring in BK. Come on. Brian Kelly, who is also in Puerto Rico. Why? Because he's a crypto baller himself and that's where they go. Hi, BK. <laughs> So what did you make? What do you yeah, make that's of the? What you do when you're crypto baller? <laughs> what do you make of the ongoing collapse? And have you actually added to any positions? Uh, haven't we added a little bit to some Bitcoin today? Uh, you know, the ongoing collapse is a, is a combo of a couple different things. Really, it starts. You guys were talking about the regulatory uncertainty, and I haven't been a big fan of that term. But there is a little bit of uncertainty now uh, because the SEC has sent out some subpoenas. And the question is, what are they going to declare securities? And that's unclear. Some of these, sometimes these tokens act as securities, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they act as a currency. So until that's defined, a lot of stuff is stalled, and a lot of capital is kind of on the sidelines waiting to see what's happening. And that's why you see this grind down in Bitcoin. I'm going to ask you a stupid, potentially stupid question. No question. No I have no fear of, of being called stupid. Why is it, though, that the cryptocurrencies themselves are trading down and trading down pretty much across the board equally on the fear of regulation when the regulation looks like it's coming in the ICO part of the business? So that's actually not a stupid question, Melissa. You're quite brilliant with your questions. The reason why is a lot of these ICOs, you need to buy the original cryptocurrency. So the reason why Ethereum ran up at the last year, about uh, second quarter of last year, there are a lot of these ICOs. To participate in the ICO, you need to buy Ethereum or you need to buy Bitcoin. So without that buying flow, that takes a huge, a huge amount of liquidity out of the market. So if we permanently see the flow of ICOs dampened because of increased regulation, then the, new, the past highs on these coins theoretically should not be attainable again. For a while, at least. Well, I actually think, yeah, I mean, there, so here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what I'm seeing in the marketplace. You're seeing a bifurcation. You're going to see people invest in the pure currencies. So think Bitcoin, Litecoin, Monero, uh, Bitcoin Cash. Any of those that are truly pure currencies are going to get a lot of the attention. There will be a whole swath of these tokens that will move over to, the, over to securities exchanges that are coming out. Open Financial Network has one as well. So I think you're going to see that bifurcation. You actually could see a bunch of these tokens. We have 1,500 or so now. You might see that whittled down to 500 or so that are really liquid and investable. And those will do quite well. But be between then and now, it's going to be a little rough. So talk to me about this whole Puerto Rico thing. All right. So all you guys go down to Puerto Rico. Is this just some giant boondoggle? Or what is the government? I mean, does the government really want Puerto Rico and think Puerto Rico could be the next Bitcoin blockchain capital when it doesn't even have power for its citizens? I thought it required a lot of power, well, too. Well, there's plenty of power here. I mean, look at, look at all the energy behind me. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so there are a couple. There are a couple jurisdictions that are really vying for this, and the government here in Puerto Rico obviously is looking for ways to attract businesses. Cryptocurrency is a new business. There is there is plenty of electricity here. Remember, we're not doing mining here. You're simply setting up uh, businesses here. So, I do think this is a viable place, as viable a place as Switzerland, as Singapore, as Hong Kong, and that's what we're all here to find out: is is how to do it in this environment. All right. Thanks, BK. Looks warm. My pleasure. Adios. Doesn't he? He's like a <laughs> <He's sweating. laughs> I mean, I, he might be nice. nice, for Mel. all I know. He's I mean. so lingual. Yeah. <laughs> he sweats, guys. We know that. We know that from the set. I just want to make one point. This is something he I've been sweats. fairly consistent about. You know, when things got a little crazy with all these in late December, and even, you know, people were trying to buy that first dip in January, what's really important to remember is that they massively overshot on the upside. Everybody knew that. Everyone who was participating in it, and it's likely to do the same thing on the downside. So, you know, if you're, you know, just a trader, there's the volatility that you can trade. But I think you have to understand that this Bitcoin in particular was trading 2000 a year ago, you know, and yeah. it went up to 20,000 and now it's at 8,000. It's about managing your risk and Tim's done a great job of putting it out there of how much risk really should be involved in the trade of your entire portfolio. Very small amount, right? I mean, so you've got that sort of a carrot out there. I still lean towards the areas that sort of feed into the blockchain, the Bitcoin and all the rest of it. Something like, I'll tell you, I know you guys are going to look at me crazy, IBM. I think there is technology companies out there. It's not a real blockchain play, is it, Pete? You're right. It's not. But it's it's indirect, and they are going to be a bigger piece of this as it goes Mm -hmm. forward. And I think that's another growth area of IBM. I think there's a lot of reasons to like IBM. BK has said that as well, the IBM. There you go, the IBM. There's a small percentage of revenues, though, is my point. Last year, there was about $800 million in services, in blockchain services. IBM captured about a third of it. And that's one of the reasons why I think people think they're very focused on it. But when you think about the company, you think about the revenue base, it doesn't really move the needle. But the, the, the opportunity is endless, but they, and, and it's something they really focus on. But IBM on. needs a catalyst, and let's yeah. be clear. Yeah. I mean, they, they've done a deal with Maersk. They have a shipping decentralized platform that's based off of blockchain technology. That's happening, and, yes. and I think that's real. Yes. All right. Still ahead, Broadcom volatile in the after-hour session. The company conference call is underway. We will hear what the CEO just said about the failed Qualcomm deal. Plus, the Nasdaq hitting a major milestone this week, and a number of undercover Web 2.0 stocks could be driving this rally. We've got the details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. You may scoff at a lot of things millennials love, like avocados, yoga, turmeric lattes, whatever those are. Uh, But there is one surging group of stocks that may have you banking on the millennial dream, breaking it down as a man who is forever young, Dom Chu. All right, Melissa, I think forever young was the theme for my senior prom. And I wish I were a millennial, but millennial or not, if more folks are really using the next generation of web or mobile-based service apps, a number of companies could reap the rewards. So take a look at some of this generation's web companies. Think of them like Web 2.0. Check out first meal ordering company, delivery company, Grubhub. It's got over 50% gain, thanks in large part to that strategic partnership with Yum Brands, which now owns part of Grub. There's also IAC Interactive, the parent company of properties like dating site Match.com, and also the parent company of home improvement site Angie Home Services, up around 35% year-to-date. Shares of Angie Home Services themselves up nearly 50%. Online real estate listing site Zillow is up north of 40%, and then online marketplace Etsy has gained around 37%. So do these stocks represent a measure of risk appetite in the market? In some cases, these companies aren't ones that really have a real track record of profitability. And in some cases, if they do, they trade at a very premium valuation to the rest of the market. 
in any event, it hasn't changed the fact that holders of these Web 2.0 stocks are making money. But Melissa, after some blistering runs, what will it take to keep that upside momentum intact? Back over to you guys. All right. Thank you, Dom. Dom Chu. So what do these huge moves in these names say about investor sentiment? Because I realize that you guys are not... Well, I mean, what do you IAC, mean? oh, come on, what do you IAC, mean? IAC, what? IAC, Dating Tinder, What's wrong with Tinder, that? Yeah. OK Cupid, guy, I mean, what? You tell me, no, I'm just asking a question. <laughs> no, look, I think they say a lot about society. That's why they're going higher. That's why they're good buys. This is a $14 billion market cap, folks. It's trading around 30 times earnings. It's growing at least that fast. I think it's going higher. What does Etsy say about society? It's, it's we're doomed, <laughs> is what it says. Desire for, for handcrafted goods. Can I say something? It actually says it's like the anti-Amazon. For all intents and purposes, I mean, that's Etsy. not where you're going to go sell your sock puppets and stuff like that on Amazon. Remember the guy Adami sock puppet? What's a sock puppet? Remember the guy Adami sock puppet? Yeah, there actually is a guy sock puppet. We returned it. Hey, guys, there's one name that Dom left out. It's really important. It's also... No. Oh, sorry. It's my, this is, I'm talking. Sorry. It's talking it's Square. Now. Dom's not talking. Okay, but do you guys remember Square? They got the Cash App. They're yeah, trading yeah, yeah. crypto. We, That's we, what the kids today are trading. And they also Square. have Caviar, which is a big Grubhub competitor. Which is sort of a head scratcher when it comes to Square's portfolio of businesses. Not really. Well, if you had watched no. last night's Caviar. Fast Money, yeah. Dan, you would know exactly. we broke we down a lot of time on yeah. Oh, I saw Kramer. Bitcoin stock or not. I mean, we did a whole nine charts. Just about it as well. Um, but this may be this may signal a reach for growth. It sure does. It, sure, it does to me. I mean, uh, you, you you like these names, but these are absolutely flyers right now. And because of that, are you willing to pay these premiums that you're willing to pay right now on those names? Are you? I'm not. I'm not on any got, of these names. But think of the volatility or, you know, whatever we've had in terms of a correction. I mean, again, an IAC, that thing has been a rock yes. after a massive move. That, yeah. that, to me, tells me that I think people believe that growth is sustainable. Deep end of the pool quick. But Zillow, you know, 50 times forward earnings, but it probably grows about 50. So the valuation, as ridiculous as it may sound, might actually be reasonable in the market that we find ourselves. What else is ridiculous? My hair. Your shirt. Your shirt. So Q-tip, folks at home, I mean, just looking at it from here, it's moraine, I'm getting vertigo. See, that's called moraine. Let me just move over here. See the way it makes, when you move, it's not Yeah, and it's making people nauseous. It's probably causing small children to have seizures right now. Still ahead. I don't know why you did that. It's like chip miss. Embarrassing. Chip miss here on Fast Money. First Broadcom volatile in the after hour session. The CFO commenting on the blocked Qualcomm deal right now in the company conference call. We'll bring you the comments. Plus, as the Broadcom Qualcomm deal falls through, Intel is said to be considering a major acquisition. Mad Money's Jim Kramer just spoke to Intel CEO Brian Krasanich. Kramer will be here live when we come back. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Broadcom. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco for the details. Hi, Josh. Melissa, uh, Broadcom CEO Hawk Tan began this call by talking about the company's fundamentals. So wired infrastructure that would include chips for networking equipment, $1.88 billion. That was up about 10% year over year, though down sequentially. Wireless communications, so chips that enable Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, $2.2 billion. Now that was up almost 90% year over year, though Hawk Tan saying he would expect uh, a larger than typical seasonal decline in Q2. Remember, big customers there include Apple and Samsung. Of course, Melissa, on this call, there's a lot of tension about what Broadcom would say about Qualcomm. Now, the company's CFO, Thomas Krauss, uh, had uh, some choice words for Qualcomm. Take a listen. Indeed, I have to say we are touched by the ISS report issued just last night that continues to recommend the Broadcom independent nominees and by our understanding that based on the vote tally as of today, 
the 11 Qualcomm nominees are only garnering between 15 to 16 percent of the outstanding shares. Not necessarily something to celebrate down in San Diego. So Mr. Krause taking a shot there at Qualcomm's leaders, Melissa. Um, companies saying it will continue to seek out potential M&A targets. One change, though, it says future M&A targets likely funded, they say, with cash available on the balance sheet. And then quickly, the Q2 revenue guide here, $5 billion, plus or minus $75 million. That was in line with that, those pre-announced results. Gross margins around 66%. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton. And, and the notion of funding it by cash on the balance sheet, that would imply, I would imagine, a smaller deal than the likes of a, the size of a Qualcomm deal. What do you do? You know, with the markets here? didn't even hate so much. I mean, it did underperform much of February, but they didn't hate so much the fact that they were aggressively going after such a big deal. So I think they'll probably like a smaller deal. Remember, this is a company whose stock is trading well below market multiple, well below all of its peers. It's got pretty decent earnings and sales, expected growth for 2018. So at 13 and a half times, I think it's a cheap stock. You know, what the CFO said about the Qualcomm directors was very interesting. It was a little bit of sour grapes, but this also implies that perhaps there isn't a lot of support for Qualcomm's directors out there amongst shareholders. Well, what does that say about what people view, how people view the company look, itself? I, I, I think sentiment on Qualcomm, though, is still, you know, not great. And if mm -hmm. you think about what they've had to endure over the last couple of years, I mean, they've had some major issues in terms of their relationship with Apple, in terms of their royalty issues. And they've got, I, I'm not sure this is the, the, the director's fault. Um, but bottom line is, you know, you talk about Broadcom being undervalued. I think Qualcomm's massively undervalued. And, and, you know, think about what's going on in semis and what's going on in chips and yet the overall move for the asset class. These two names look very interesting, and so does Intel. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to do there. You've been getting up on the chips. You pitched Intel yep. last night. I did, yep. And, and, and I like Broadcom a lot. Uh, I you disagree do. on the Qualcomm just because for so many years I've watched this company just seem inept in everything that they do. And the performance of the stock has been pretty much significant of, or showing of all that, you know, the ineptitude of what's been going on. But Broadcom, valuation, margins, earnings growth, all of that, and free cash flows. And you look at everything else that's going on in the company, all the different levels that they're actually in with their chips. I think this company is way undervalued and has plenty of upside. Speaking of chips, we've got a Kramer alert. Come on. That money is Jim Kramer just spoke with the CEO of Intel, Brian Krasanich. So, Jim, first of all, welcome back to FAST. Good to see you two days in a row. What was the big headline out of the big interview? All right, well, there were multiple about how, this, how cheap the stock is. I agree with you guys. I think it's ridiculous. But I would say just the body language, the words. If you, if you were buying Broadcom because you think Intel's going to buy it, you are sorely mistaken. I think that there may have been talks, whatever, but uh-uh, uh-uh. He's not going up against Hocktan. He's got too much doing with the mobile eye, and I think the mobile eye acquisition is going to prove to be prescient and brilliant. Stock deserves a much higher mobile. So what do you think the next chip deal will be, and will it involve Intel? Uh, I don't think Intel needs to do anything. I think the Broadcom Act was the, uh, the idea of Broadcom on top of Mobileye is just ridiculous. I think, too, that I really like integrated device technologies and Cypress. I have them on regularly. The stocks are way too cheap. I don't really get their valuations. I know that they've had some ups and downs, but I think, they're, I think those are terrific companies to gobble up. JC, I was just going to say, you had the Cypress semi-CEO on, I think, a month or so ago, Mr. El Corey, if memory serves, I think in early February. Why is the stock seemingly can't get through this $19 level? I, too, think it's too cheap. Uh, I, you know what? I mean, what was Intel doing in the mid-40s for so long? 
This group is just crazily valued from one to another. Texas Instrument gets cheap. Corvo got killed today. Skyworks seems expensive to me. I don't know. I mean, look, I come back to, yes, my dog, NVIDIA. When <laughs> NVIDIA doesn't go up, a lot of stocks don't go up. It is the one that people look to, and that one is stalled. Cypress is too cheap. Still more consolidation coming. But I got to tell you, the Qualcomm Broadcom, that did kind of put a chill on the deals when the president slops a strong—he he slapped a strong sell on Qualcomm, the president. Yep. You're right, Jim, as always. I think he sliced numbers, too. <laughs> Jim, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And, and good luck to NVIDIA, Dreamer. too. Yeah. The dog the or the, dog the, dog the, the stock? Everything. Both. Both. All of it. Um, huge mad money tonight. Come on. More of that Intel interview, plus the CEOs of Hewlett Packard and Clorox that starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Big mad money. Um, what do we do here for Intel? Jim said Intel I, does not need to do anything. Look, I think I think you, you wave it in. I think Intel still is very cheap. I think the, the, end, the enterprise end market is growing. I think they have been very conservative, if anything. They're not guys that get out there and grandstand, and I think that's why there's surprise in the stock valuation. You like to see why for a deal? Well, I mean, it's 10% short interest, 12, 12 and a half times forward earnings. It would be an easy sort of tuck-in deal for somebody if they were so inclined. And I, too, like JC, think the stock is too cheap. You know, for years I've been saying this. Uh, regular viewers are actually listening to me. Um, I thought. <laughs> That, uh, as opposed that to mean? the regular ones who don't. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I, I always thought that Qualcomm, as a fabulous you know, semiconductor, it would have been a great fit with Intel. Um, and, you know, Intel obviously missed the boat um, you know, on wireless over the last decade. To me, I don't know why that's not a potential deal that Intel would do. These guys, you know, Intel could help Qualcomm a great deal with their relationship with Apple. Let's put it that way. But, but why chase it? And, you know, the Altera deal was a great deal for them, but that's more in the, in the, the data center and yeah. enterprise side of their business, which is going crazy. To shore up wireless, I mean, so you, you have data center, you have IoT, you have Autonomous, they bought Nirvana, you have Mobileye, which is also fits in there. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, I, you know, if there's going to be a big deal to have, Qualcomm's got this great balance sheet. They've got a ton of cash. My advice, like if I had his ear right now, the CEO mm -hmm. of Intel would be don't make a big deal. Yeah. Wait for an opportunity. Don't make the big deal. Don't have to chase anything. I didn't like the deal with Qualcomm and Broadcom anyway, so I actually think that's better off for Broadcom right now going forward. Intel does not need to make some massive deal to get any better. Coming up, Snap's disappearing act. The stock sinking back to its IPO price today after another celebrity slams a social media company. Is the stock a no-touch? The traders will weigh in. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snap feeling the heat after superstar Rihanna blasted the social media company for posting a controversial ad. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles with the details. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Snap coming under fire for this ad for a video game that ran between Snap stories. The ad asking, quote, would you rather slap Rihanna or punch Chris Brown? Of course, Chris Brown received five years probation after pleading guilty to beating Rihanna. Rihanna posting response on Instagram, criticizing Snapchat for running the ad, saying, quote, this isn't about my personal feelings because I don't have much of them, but all the women, children and men that have been victims of domestic violence in the past, and especially the ones who haven't made it out yet. You let us down. Shame on you. Throw the whole apology away. Snap responding, quote, the advertisement is disgusting and should never have appeared on our service. 
We are sorry we made the terrible mistake of allowing it through our review process. We are investigating how that happened so we can make sure it never happens again. Snap shares falling nearly 4% today, back to around its $17 IPO price. The advertiser, the game Would You Rather, has faced criticism in the past for asking questions about rape and now has been blocked from advertising on Snapchat. When Snap opened his ad platform back in February, which automated the ad buying system further, it issued some guidelines, including prohibiting anything that is shocking, sensational, or disrespectful. Now, of course, Rihanna isn't the only celebrity to criticize the platform. Just last month, Kylie Jenner tweeted that she doesn't open the app anymore. That day, the stock closed down about 6%. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Uh, shares of Snap now trading just above its IPO price of 17 bucks a share, but still up nearly 18% year-to-date. So is today's move just a warning for the stock, or is Snap's run coming to an end. This particular problem, though, is a problem for a lot of the social media platforms in terms of what sorts of content, mm -hmm. whether it be news or advertisements, uh, are, is going to be allowed. And endorsements. I and mean, endorsements. who knew that Kylie Jenner could move a stock, you know, mm -hmm. six bucks? Well, maybe some of us did. Um, but, but ultimately, 17 bucks, very important level for the stock. I, I think these guys have an enormous amount of competition in Instagram, and I think it's not something they're going to overcome. So I don't buy this. I think because of that, I'm going to do a Would You Rather, which oh. was part of that. So would you rather. Rather. Uh, which I mean, was a game, game apparently. Yeah, it's amazing. That was part of the game, but I'm going to do a Would You Rather. It's going to be Twitter, and here's why. Trump, that's one number one. Number two, competition. There is no competition for Twitter right now. Love it. So you would Love rather it. Twitter over Snap. Correctamundo. I think today's move on that headline tells you how bad sentiment really is, despite mm -hmm. that, that rally the stock had after earnings, because this is not a platform that caters to celebrities anyway. you got to remember, you know, I know my kids are not pop stars or reality stars. They don't like the new redesign. I mean, that's really the biggest you issue are. among users, that sort of thing. But these guys are responding to all these issues. They said they're going to fix that. The way they respond, this is how young companies grow. They have situations right. like this. So to me, this is not on Snap. The fact the stock was down 4.5% to me it seems a little goofy. Well, options traders saw something very interesting mm. in Snap today. So Dan is going to head over to the plasma and show us. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly today, we just talked about that the stock is right near that IPO price of 17. For, dude, take it easy. Wow, look at that uh, From shirt. last March right. uh, oh, first, when the company went public at 17 bucks. And it's kind of hovering around there. Um, you know, call volume today was one and a half times average daily volume. But a lot of the activity was in the March weekly puts and calls that expire this week. It's just kind of telling me it's a lot of short-term trading around this 17 dollar level the most active or there was one strike that kind of caught my eye today about 3200 of the march weekly tomorrow expiration 17 and a half puts were sold at 55 cents or so on average but again that's just telling you that there's a lot of trading around this point i actually think it's a kind of an interesting pivot point we have this chart right here look at this we go back to 17 this is a huge level this is what it got from it's kind of support now i think you can trade this using a 16 dollar stop to the downside you can trade it on the long side here Thanks for that, Dan. Full show, Options Action Friday. Sure. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Time for the Final Trade, Petey. You know I love technology. Get to done. Salesforce, giddy up. Tim Seymour. Everybody knows I love technology. Intel. <laughs> Dan, do you love technology? Uh, yeah, I also do. But, oh. you know, Snapchat, I think you can play it long here with a 16 stop. There's some tech. Oh, I, got, I, got, you, I got some tech. I love Burger King. Uh, Whoppers, uh, no tomatoes. <laughs> Sometimes I get two. No tomatoes. He hates tomatoes. Oh, tomatoes is a double Whopper. I don't agree with you, do No, they? no, no. I don't like a double Whopper. The texture. It's binding the texture for your of the tomatoes he doesn't like. Uh, anyway. You, you know what? If you eat too many, what do you got to go to do? I don't want to know. And where do you go? Cigna. Giddy up. Giddy up.
I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you very much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.